Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast. Alongside Mike Nizolik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Happy holidays, everybody. It's been a week and a half since we've done one of these, so we will look back on the Marshall game briefly, and we'll also look ahead. Uh, the Hokies know their bowl destination, and they have a juice-free matchup uh, coming up, but we, we'll, we'll add as much juice to the whole situation as we can. Mike, how's your? Uh, I know it's been snowing. Your kids have been off. How's your time off been here? <laughs> yeah, well, I it was, was briefly made a brief trip to New York uh, for Frank Beamer's uh, induction. Uh, didn't stay for the ceremony, but got to talk to him a little bit uh, and some uh, people. His son was there, and uh, all the Virginia Tech people made it up there. So, uh, and then been kind of focused on recruiting. So not off. My kids have had off, but I have been uh, trying to get as much work in as I can between getting. Uh, snacks and Legos and video games in with the kids. Now, I have, have gone on record many times about my feelings of New, on New York, although they've I, I've, I've warmed up to the place more. The last time I went there, I had a great time, uh, which is the only time I've ever been there and had a great time. How, how do you... How do you and New York get along? I mean, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, when you drive in, it smells like garbage, and then you got all the piles of garbage all over the place. It's kind of... Uh, yeah, that's not my thing. But uh, I think I think you know, thirty six hours, uh, you get a couple of good meals. Uh, you know, see the sights. Uh, went to the Nintendo store to get a couple of souvenirs for the kids. That was about enough. That was good. I was good after that. I'm I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I, that was the New York experience I need. My big thing with it is like paying three times as much for anything, like because it's in New York. Like I want a soda. It's gonna be six dollars instead of two. Like I just don't get that. Yeah, uh, uh, got a deal on Hotels.com. Then the room was like. Uh, 180 or something for Hampton, which is really good. But somebody ha- had, you know, was paying like it was like $1,500 for three nights at a Hampton Inn, and it's just like, no thanks. Uh, that's yeah. not, that's that's out of whack. So, uh, but I, like I said, it was uh, good to be there uh, and kind of um, take in some of the with the Hall of Fame and and that class and, and Frank Beamer's honor. But uh, any more time in New York would have been too much. How much time did you get with Frank? Oh, about an hour. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's like you know, we you, you, we just talking to Frank a couple of times this year. Um, you know, everybody knows a lot of his stories and, and things, so it's hard to find stuff new. But uh, it was good. Um, like I said, his son was there. Got to talk to him. Um, uh, Justin Fuente was there. He did not look like he's a New York guy either. Um, <laughs> his wife was dragging him around uh, for some sightseeing because I don't think she thought she might get him back there anytime soon. So I think they took the day in. Well, the uh, my my turning point for New York was finding a, a little route along the Hudson River where I could walk, and there was nobody there, and just a few people walking their dogs and stuff, and that that to me turned it into Jacksonville or someplace like that, which I had, where I have some open space. Uh, There's not much. We, so we, yeah, we, it was down to, down kind of in Times Square, so there was not much space. Yeah, uh, walking space. Uh, before I move on to current stuff, what's your favorite? You, you know, you covered Frank for what ten years? Yeah, favorite well, more Frank, than that, fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. Uh, Frank Beamer story. What's your favorite Frank Beamer story? Uh, there was a year they were in contention for the uh, BCS, and. You know, I think they were like seven and zero or eight and zero, but they were still lagging in the in the initial rankings of the BCS. And of course, he was asked in his press conference, you know, Frank, how do you feel about this? You know, uh, what do you have to do to to get the the computers to to figure out that they like you? And 
he's like, well, you know, and he kind of went into this whole thing about how you just got to play, play your schedule and just hope things work out. And he says, you know, if we do everything we can and those computers don't go ring-a-ding-ding, then, then that's – and so ring-a-ding-ding became a T-shirt. I mean, that, that was just like the Frankism that – like you could just get that at any given press conference, and I loved that well, Ring-a-ding-ding. Uh, you never knew – I mean, it, it did – you know, some of the – press conferences near the end felt like reruns because we were talking a lot about losses and things but uh during the during the boom times uh there was always some little frank quip that would be uh great and, and of course the beat writer at the time randy king was a very colorful character and he and randy would uh he and uh beamer would kind of play off each other too at the press conferences it, it was fun and um so i'll always remember that i'll also remember frank and this is not not a story that you know is going to shock anybody or anything but like every time i was around frank whether it was at uh the the golf tournament at the greenbrier you know he goes to that uh or at a nascar race you know he goes to martinsville and and or or you know he shows up at the acc basketball tournament like every time i saw him and somebody would ask for a picture or an autograph or something he would always stop and he wouldn't just get it done in a perfunctory manner he would sit and talk with the people you know hi who are you you know you know where are you from and and you know do you have any kids uh you know how long have you been a fan and and that to me was just the essence of frank as as a man and um one of his one of his mentors was the radford high school legendary coach uh, his first boss in coaching was norman lindenberg who is a an idol of mine much like Frank is in that, I just kind of see them as role models as people, not so much what they are. As, but but um, Norman, one of his quotes, when I wrote about his final season, he said, I told him, I said, where did your personality come from? And he said it came from his parents. And they said, you know, they always told him that you should be able to walk with the kings and the peasants and everyone in between. And that's sort of the same way Frank is. Well, I think the, one of the first days I was here in uh, uh, this area in Blacksburg, Christiansburg, I saw Frank taking his noon walk with his dog, and it's like outside the athletic department. It's like this place is a little different. Yeah. Coming from Auburn, where their former coaches don't really want us to ever step on campus again, <laughs> um, it's like wow, we've we've entered a different sort of world where he can kind of be a part of that program uh, and sort of not you know coexist with Justin Fuente, and it's even more than that. Like you know the story about his wife getting cookies after one of the tough, the Notre Dame loss or whatever loss it was. It was like. That doesn't happen, and so that that sort of I think sort of encapsulates you know his legacy that um, he's still welcomed with open arms, and everybody sort of just kind of um, it's still his world, but it, it Justin Fuente is able to exist and not sort of be at odds with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and Frank looks happy and healthy, and those are those are two great things to see. Uh, I know he pulled out that anecdote from the. I was going to say the Roanoke Brooke. time got mentioned. Well, I, it, w what was interesting to me, you know, I, of course I'd heard that, that Christmas sweater analogy, but I'd never actually went and read the column. And we actually posted the Bill Brill famous Christmas sweater column on our website. And it was crazy to see the names that he was throwing out there. Brill, that is. Right. Uh, he threw out Grow. He threw out Spurrier. He threw out – who else did he have on there? I, I, I'm trying to remember. Bobby uh, Ross, was the, uh, Ross was the name, I guess, that yeah. was the serious sort of contender – um, and at the time, I mean, that was one of Frank Beamer's me uh, mentors. So it was like he had obviously more experience. It was a bigger name. So Frank kind of felt like, 
you know, <laughs> it's funny how that was something they thought about that, at, you know, at the, when you're going to the Hall of Fame, uh, you still remember, I guess, the best, the ones that stick out, the, the press that sticks out. You know, I'm famous for thinking of things, good ideas, like two weeks after I should have thought of them, but a whimsical column about how life could have been around here with any of those other candidates yeah. would have been kind of funny. Uh, you know, think especially like grow, you know, like uh, he's, he was such a, uh, an interesting guy to cover at Virginia. Well, um, all right, like, let's talk about Marshall real quick. Uh, it's been a week and a half. Uh, what struck out to me and I wrote some of my column about this was just how sort of bizarre, that whole scene was um, the fog, the empty parking lots, uh, the the empty seats, um, the atmosphere being, uh, you know, they're doing their best, but it's, it's about half the size of a normal crowd. Um, what stood out to you about that uh, 4120 victory? Uh, Marshall's not very, it was not very good or was not ready to play. Uh, you know, people had talked about how they were a pretty good team. They were favored um, and they did not, and they, you know, I think one of our colleagues uh, uh, said that they were cheering when Virginia Tech beat Virginia because they wanted to play them. Um, they did not look like a team that was motivated, not to take anything away from Virginia Tech's victory, but they had a slew of penalties that they did. They didn't play well. Um, and I don't know if that, you know, their strength of schedule is not nearly what these ACC teams are. Um, so you're always kind of brought down, you know, when you think about, when you look at the lines and things like that, I, sometimes I think people forget that there's a different of caliber of talent uh between Conference USA and ACC. Well, Tech was favored. Tech had Tech was a four-point favorite. Yeah, in, I, in but I'm just saying like that people thought Marshall was going to come in here and really compete. And yeah, and I think when we talked beforehand, I yeah. said to you, like, if I was going to play this game, the only way I would play it would be Marshall. You right. know, they had nothing to lose. You figured they'd play free and easy in there. Uh, but you're right. Uh, Tech Tech took that game by the lips and yanked right away. And <laughs> That's a very <laughs> colorful way of saying uh, they, kicked, they kicked their butts. Um, and, you know, it, look, I, I thought the most interesting quote after the game was Justin Fuente said, you could see we are who we are and our mistakes are on the field still. Like they're still, we we are a team prone to mistakes because we're so young, um, but we played through them. And that's kind of, I guess, how the season's kind of been, right? That sort of encapsulates everything that uh, they've gone through is that they just make mistakes and they'll, they'll make bad plays. Um, but sometimes the, it's, it's really boom or bust. And the last two weeks, uh, you know, the offense, especially – that last game, the offense kind of got going and didn't look back. But, um, yeah, it, it, uh, impressive way that they faced adversity, though, I think is kind of the overall take from that last two weeks for me. Certainly. I mean, th that this team easily could have just folded up and, and, and you know played out the string. I mean, I think the nadir of the season was probably when those transfers were announced yeah. right after they just lost their sixth game and they knew they had to win twice with this bonus game thrown in, and it was like, wow, it feels like things are really feels falling. like they hit the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. and um, so so for this resurgence to occur, uh, the the combined victory over over Virginia and then the victory over Marshall in in resounding fashion, um, what do you what do you think you'll remember about this resurgence, or, or what what do you think was the biggest factor in the resurgence? I think, well, I think what I remember most is the end of that Virginia game, just every, how everything yeah. went right. I mean, that, I think, stands out. Um, it's probably going to haunt Virginia if they can't end the streak here in the next couple of years. Like, that's going to be a really a defining moment. 
uh, this late in sort of a winning streak where you think it's good, it's going to be over, it's going to be over. Um, and I think they're going to use that in recruiting. They're going to use that sort of all over the place that, like, even at, at our worst, uh, we still manage to find a way. Uh, in terms of the season, I, you know, if, if Virginia Tech's able to bounce back next year, I think you look at it and say, you know, fans are ready to throw Justin Fuente off the boat. Um, and maybe they were too soon in that. Uh, you know, it, they were it, <laughs> fans were like the locker room's terrible, everything's going wrong, and it never. Uh, you know, I never got that sense, but I think you saw it those last two weeks that this team never really fractured, that there was never sort of those cracks. And I think that's a credit to coaching, especially in a team with only really five seniors playing, six seniors in in the lineup. Um, that this coaching staff. Uh, did a really good job the last couple of weeks of the season to kind of pull things back together. You know, it's funny. I was on the radio this week, and we were talking NFL, and it is a little off topic, but, you know, it occurred to me when you see the firing of, of Mike McCarthy in Green Bay and you see the Oakland GM get canned. like well, Dan Quinn in Atlanta is probably going to get fired. Uh, who was it that just got fired right after a game? Uh just the other McCarthy was that McCarthy yeah, yeah. Was it, wasn't yeah. there another one or was it or, or no there was a defensive coordinator defensive co- or or Minnesota. Minnesota's offensive coordinator got <laughs> and they were just yeah, can't yeah. and I'm, th- I'm thinking to myself fi- that Monday loss night loss finally in the NFL everything is happening the way fans wanted to that is what fans after a bad game you just don't you don't get a ride back to the airport <laughs> no. find your way back <laughs> just pack your stuff and get out um but I mean I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go about things uh but that's where after that fourth loss to miami fans are ready to say you know justin buy your own plane ticket back to memphis or something right exactly and they felt that way about the offensive coordinator cornelson cornelson as well uh there's been days where buds felt that kind of uh, heat (laughs) um so uh but yeah thankfully uh i guess for virginia tech's sake that wit Wit did not do any of that but Um, you know that it just goes to show you that I think we are getting a little more reactionary here in sports uh, and I think things like like that can happen uh, they just you know I, I didn't think this early in well, one tenure, of the things it, we talked about Frank Beamer his sixth year he went two eight and one right and I joke with uh, coach Fuente about that and he's, he laughed when I said do you think you'd survive a yeah. two eight and one record and your sixth year let alone you know any year and he'd lie i mean literally left he's like yeah no you know it's like there'd be pitchforks and they, i mean he wouldn't even get to the eighth loss they would have fired him before that um now so it's it it um it patience is not uh fans don't love it they want change you know and that's sort of like uh, when you got to the end of the losing streak, the four-game losing streak, they wanted something to be different. And I can understand that, some some of the offensive things. But they did make some changes. You know, one of the tweaks that I wrote about was, you know, using uh, Trey Turner sort of on those sweeps. And those things, I thought they could have been a little more aggressive earlier in the season making those changes. Um, but, you know, fans were ready for wholesale, you know, let's let's burn down the athletic department and rebuild from scratch. Yeah, a segment of the yeah. fan base. I don't know if everybody felt that way, but yeah, coaches love that two eight and one Frank Beamer season because they can always point to it and say, "Look, if you give a guy a chance, it just doesn't happen." Though. There's zero percent. <laughs> it's a different. They're, 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 they're not. That's not something that can is feasible. I mean, six and six. You know, if well, if they finished five and seven, Fuente would have heard it. I mean, it would have been a really long off season, and that just goes to. Show, I mean, forget about two eight and one. I mean, five and seven was a was next year he was going to be on the hot seat. So um, not that he won't be if, if things go off the rails next year to start, but um, they certainly sort of quieted down the uh, the voices. Your first regular season as the Tech Beat Man is in the books. What 
What will stand out to you most about it? What will you remember most when people say, your first season on the Tech Beat, what was that like? It was a, I mean, it was a wild year. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to get a game cancellation. You had a 12th game, all those streaks continuing. You had a four-game losing streak, and you still finished 6-6. Six and six. Uh, it was a just it, it was a strange year I thought because you once they beat Florida State you kind of thought this might be a good team and then they lose to Old Dominion and you're like well maybe they're a bad team then they bounce back then they fall off the map um, the Notre Dame game is a real close game at half and then that goes you know uh, south it was just real up and down and I got the sense that it wasn't sort of even for a guy like Bud Foster who's seen everything and anything. I, I, this was sort of a, a year where he didn't really know what to expect. Or it, it, as the year went on, um, it was just a, a strange season. I, I think that's the bottom line. All the twists and turns and sort of things where you thought that, you know, when you thought it would zig, it would zag. And, and that kind of went with the predictions where you couldn't figure this team out. Um, and I, I don't know if that's just all the youth, but um, certainly that's part of it. Yeah, I think – you know, all the all the recent games are most fresh in my mind, but I think what really is indelible in my memory of this season are two images. One is standing on the field in Tallahassee where the Tech fans are doing the tomahawk chop and chanting, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, they came in here and beat what is supposed to be a very good Florida State team. Of course, now we know in hindsight that t- that team wasn't any good. But – uh, just to go from that, that's the one scene. And then the other scene is standing out in the in that uh, basically uh, insane scene after Old Dominion has defeated Virginia Tech in you know, unbelievable fashion. And, and Justin Fuente standing in front of us yelling over the den, uh, you know, to answer our questions about what went wrong there. The, those two images could not be more different. Uh, and more more stark, and so uh, I'll always remember them. I think, and, and I don't, my memory gets worse and worse every year. But uh, those two from from this from this season will stand out. Well, it is appropriate that Florida State start. You start the year with the win over Florida State, and then you're the team that has their bowl streak still standing at the end of the year, because um, Florida State's ended. So now Tech has the uh, longest one in the country. I'll have it for another year. That turned out to be the and the game that swung that. swung the thing, you know, because they finished five and seven, I believe. So um, it, appropriate, I sort of in that sense, because you know those two teams faced off, and Virginia Tech was the better team. Uh, certainly, uh, we just kind of that win got overcounted because Florida State was so bad. But um, but yeah, and then that Virginia game, like I said, we talked about it. Just that that was as good of a finish as I think you'll see. Um, and exciting. I have, maybe it was magnified by the fact that we saw a lot of bad football yeah. for like two months, and we didn't see a real good game uh, for a very long time. So, um, and you weren't at the North Carolina game. That drive yeah. and that fumble at the end zone was pretty memorable too. There, there were some moments. Um, so I don't know if those get uh, bigger because we just saw you know like that Pittsburgh game uh, or, or the Georgia Tech game was. Mm-hmm. Those were as bad of games as you'll watch. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, then we saw the opposite too. So uh, a lot of extremes for, and you know, usually six and six teams just sort of, eh. But there were a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Uh, so it was never dull, I guess you could say. And usually six and six seasons are dull. Yeah. And this was anything but. Yeah. 
and I think we talked about this before on the podcast. I mean, when they were in that sort of rinse and repeat losing streak where it seemed like we were talking about the same stuff every week, uh, it got a little less interesting to me because it, w- it wasn't like I was like struggling to come up with new angles because nothing was changing. But the way they sort of bookended the season with a, a you know, a, a signature win at Florida State and they, they won uh, these last two games in the way they did – uh, definitely made it very, very interesting looking back on the whole the whole well, thing. Virginia is probably their best one of the season. I mean, that's probably the best yeah. team they beat. I mean, yeah. it, um, Virginia wasn't a bad team this year. They, they they're playing what well, they're the belt bowl playing South Carolina. I mean, that's a you know really the, sort of the third best bowl that uh, the ACC has an agreement with behind like the Camping World. So um, that wasn't a bad team that they beat. It wasn't a Virginia team that was on the on the. I mean, they were on the upswing trying to get really put a stamp on their season and that came to a halt so um yeah it's fun year for a six and six year in terms of just not being sort of uh oh you know the four game losing streak got like you said a little repetitive but um that they managed to pull it together made it sort of a a fun year yeah all right before we get to the the cincinnati matchup let's you, you mentioned earlier that you've been doing some work on your recruiting front here. Signing day. Yeah, signing day. When is signing day? Uh, well, the first signing day is the uh, December 19th through the 21st. Okay. Where players can sign early now. So So signing days. Signing days. Wow. So, but uh, w- uh, when next Wednesday is the first sort of uh, – it really is going to be replacing the other signing day. Yeah, the first signing day is the one that matters. Yeah, right? now. So, um, but yeah, so December 19th. Okay. How are the Hokies looking? Uh, so the Hokies have 16 verbal commits right now. Um, I've been spending the week trying to get in touch with all of them so far. I think I've talked to 12 or 13 of the 16. It's not bad. It looks like basically all of them are going to sign or planning on signing uh, early on that December 19th date. I think they're going to have three early enrollees, uh, from the group I've talked to not as big of a number, but not as big of a class. Um, then they'll, they will have some work to do. Uh, they have a big weekend uh, with a lot of visitors uh, this weekend, um, and, and Justin Fuente's done. He's been out recruiting the last two weeks, uh, essentially. Um, they'll they're looking at some junior college transfers to fill out the class, especially on the defensive line, um, uh, and that'll be kind of what to look for in between the first and second signing day. But for this first signing day, the 16 players. Uh, how many four stars from that group? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. I think five four stars now because a couple guys got bumped up. Um, Brian Hunt. Seems like a lot for them. Uh, it's about what they've had. Um, I think Fuente's first year they did, they had one, and then the last couple of years that number's been back up. Okay. But I mean, that first class, he called it, I think, speed dating when he, when he talked right. about it because uh, he had about a month to kind of get it together. Uh, their top uh, signing or guy, the guy that's going to sign is Brian Hudson, an offensive lineman. Um, and then they got a bunch of they got four wide receivers coming in, which is kind of interesting because they already have a young, pretty young group and nobody uh, graduating. Um, but a smaller class, so it's probably not going to get. Uh, in the last two have been twenty six players each, so this is a much smaller than that with sixteen. All right. Well. One of the jewels of last year's class, Quincy Patterson, did not play against uh, Marshall. So he's available for this bowl game. Of course, Dax Hollyfield is the other jewel of the class, the one that made Bud do backflips this time last year when when he agreed to come here. Uh, Of course, he's been playing all season long uh, out of need. 
So you, I mean, we could see that this <laughs> used to be, well, you got to wait three or four years to figure out you know, how, how good this class is. And you do, but uh, you can actually get contributions pretty quickly if you get the right guys. Yeah, and you know, I've been looking back. I'm going to do some uh, revisiting of the signing days from like 16 and 17. Uh, you know, 16, not a lot of star players. I mean, obviously, Jared Evans was kind of the, the guy for a year. Um, but outside of that, not many stars, and, and they got Josh that year. But, um, I mean, productive players, and that's what they've kind of, they're have kind of looking for. 17 is kind of the same way. Rashard Ashby came out of that class. He's been uh, really productive. Dalton Keene, I think, really took a step forward. He's been productive. So they are getting uh, productivity from a lot of guys uh, quickly. Um, you know, I think the biggest question mark the last couple of years um, – you know what happens next with Devin Hunter because he was a guy that was probably their highest rated signee mm -hmm. in a decade um, and so I think fans are going to be looking for him um, out of the last couple of years that's probably your biggest question mark in terms of um, high-ranked guy that hasn't done much but they've they have uh, way this staff has more way, way more hits than misses so far I think okay well let's move on to the uh, military bowl here the juiceless military bowl. Now I don't want to, I don't want to take all the you know fun out of this, but it is the same matchup I saw at the last military bowl I attended, um, and that was interesting for some reason. I mean, you know, Shane Beamer was uh, coaching in his father's stead as his dad dealt with a surgery that he'd had, so I mean that was an interesting aspect of it. This this one is more, I guess, just about. The records. I mean, you know, Cincinnati's record is ten and two. That jumps off the page at you, but then you look at their schedule, and I don't know. I mean, I I don't see a lot of uh, high caliber foes on that on that schedule they've got there. Um, I don't know how valuable those ten wins are. How, well, how valuable are they? They were six and zero at home, four and two on the road or neutral sites. Their two losses came at Temple and at UCF. They beat a bad UCLA team. Uh, to start the season, that was kind of the, probably their signature win. It's kind of like Texas Florida State win. Yeah. You know, in that you think UCLA is good, but they're really not. They, they're real bit rebuilding with new coach. Um, I mean, they beat up on some bad teams, you know, Connecticut, Alabama, A&M, uh, East Carolina. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but so, uh, you know, I don't know. They, they, they have a good record, and I don't think that um, they're a bad team, but it's hard to kind of compare – uh, competition-wise uh, between the conferences. And, and Justin Fuente won't like hearing that because he has a lot of respect for him, so that's where he came from, um, But uh, um, that conference from Memphis. But um, I don't know. You know, they're not going to they, – they're holding teams to 16 points a game this season. Is their defense that good, or is it more of a subject of uh, the competition? Who's their coach? Uh, Finkel. Finkel, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, he um – I always, I just think uh, Ace Ventura, Finkel, and Einhorn. That's that's that. that <laughs> it's not. So it's, but it's it, that's what makes me. It, it makes me giggle too. So, so you know, the the line opens at six and a half, and I'm using the line that Covers.com has, which kind of is a consensus of the Vegas books, and that's quickly bet down to five. And I'm with I'm with the betters there. I mean, I I kind of like the direction that that Virginia Tech is pointing, um, and I and I feel like. You know they're they're probably more battle tested than Cincinnati is almost cer certainly more battle tested than Cincinnati is. They're, they're some of their key players uh, that you need to play well if, if your tech are playing well, your quarterback's playing well. 
Um, yeah, well, and you'll never know, though, with a month off. It's such a weird, you know, the long layoff, like how focused our teams. Um, you know, I covered when Justin Fuente left for Virginia Tech, I covered that Memphis team uh, face Auburn, and they had Paxton Lynch, and they just looked like they were sleepwalking uh, through the game. And Auburn played UCF last year, and just it was a juiceless matchup. And <laughs> Auburn played like it. They were just like, whatever. And it was like UCF Super Bowl. So uh, that has a lot to do with it. You don't really know. Um, you know, Virginia Tech's done a good job of getting their players motivated and, and um, focused. But at the same time, you know, military bowl, right, is close home. You're not taking a flight. I mean, they might. But, I mean, it, but it's, it's, it's in your backyard, essentially. It's against a team that doesn't have a lot of high, you know, high profile. Um, so there's always a chance that you just kind of – sleepwalk through it and you get kind of caught off guard but it's just such a weird you know you never know i mean they the we don't get we're not going to get to see any practice uh even on the site so uh, we're not going to have an idea of how locked in they are until they kind of walk on the field well my first concern whenever i see bold matchups unveiled is is where can i go gamble at um now in this this edition there is the national harbor mgm but I don't think I'm going to be able to do it because I've got to cover the Belk Bowl two yeah, days before. I've responsibilities. Tommy and I, I think, are going to do a little um, the crisscrossing the east, eastern seaboard here to, to, to see these two games, um, which means I'll probably get into Annapolis the night before the game and, and just cover the game and then come home after that because it's a noon game, right? Yeah, noon uh, start. That, noon uh, that's beautiful. Um, but, yeah, noon game, uh, juiceless. Um, but I'm real disappointing when you know I asked the question to, to Coach Fuente about Memphis, and when he's like, "I can't, I don't want to do that. That that would be terrible." Right. You just knew that they were not going to accommodate him because Military Bowl really wanted him. I think he would have been upset if they they set that up. But that would have been the matchup where it would have just it would have been awesome. It would have yeah. been so many storylines. He recruited the guys. They got that great running back. Uh, Norvell's following in Fuente's footsteps and kind of carried them through. Um, just so many storylines, so many, and, and, you know, Fuente would have been uncomfortable the whole time having to talk about players he recruited um, in a good way. It would, you know, it would have been fun. It would have been interesting. And here it's just sort of like, you know, he's never met Fickle or Finkel or what, Finkel and Einhorn. Fickle, Fickle, yeah. And, uh, and um, <laughs> they don't know much about him. I mean, he hasn't scouted him yet. I mean, because they're on the road recruiting these two weeks. So it's like um, – it's sort of okay, but you know, it, it, coaches hate juice. I mean, they prefer there be they, no yeah, juice. Yeah, they at don't all. want any headlines. But that would have been a fun because it, it could have happened. I mean, especially when Memphis lost to UCF. I mean, they were they're they're in the Birmingham Bowl. Um, it it could have happened if we didn't get that opportunity. And we don't get warm weather. I mean, no warm weather, no flight, no no sort of, and that's but that affects the players too. And that's what I'm saying. Like when you don't when you have a game like right at home. It's not – it feels like another game instead of like a uh, – you know, when you went to the Camping World Bowl, it's a different world down there than, sure. than Virginia Tech in December. Um, and so it feels like something special, whereas here, um, uh, you know, you're – I just – the players sense that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the stakes are obvious. I mean, you're either going to have a winning season or a losing season if you're Virginia Tech. And I know guys like Ricky Walker are going to try to do everything they can to make sure this team is, is up for it. But you're right. I mean, there are some things that just are, are inevitable that, you know, if you're, if you're not at a, at a destination site, quote, unquote, um, it's not going to feel necessarily very special. And that is split between, it's weird because they have all the events, like the players will stay 
I think the, you know DC for basically like four days. That's and interesting. Then, yeah. And then they practice there, and then the games in Annapolis. It's not that far, but still, it's just a, it's a very strange, a much different setup than most most bowls. Are you going to be there for all of the media events? Or? Yeah, they have the. All the it's a bummer that they're not opening practice at all, but they will have availability all of like three days that they're on site, uh, the twenty seventh through like the thirtieth. Um, uh, they practice each of those days, and so uh, Fuente will be available, and some players will be available most of those days. So we'll be down there uh, trying to get as much as we can, trying to get a feel for what this team because we haven't talked to the team talked to uh, coach Fonte on saturday we haven't talked to him since the bowl press conference the phone teleconference the monday after they announced it so it's been a while and like i said he hasn't really done much scouting yet so and i don't they've only had two practices at the last saturday and sunday so far well you'll have an opportunity this saturday to talk to him about what they've seen or, or what they're anticipating and that will be uh, a good to have next week when we talk on on the podcast and, and maybe we can break down the individual. Yeah. Get more better. into it. Cause we haven't even asked what he kind of was worried about. Right. And, you know, uh, but he said, you know, he, the, the, their defense kind of jumps out, especially the numbers. Uh, I mean, home teams of 16 points a game, three yards rushing um, on paper. They look good, but it'll be interesting to see what he says about them on film as a, as a, just not taking the game itself into account. What was your best bowl experience of coverage? Like just just being around and, and, and taking in the sights and sounds. Oh, Sugar Bowl, I yeah. mean, New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's which one did you cover? Uh, the Oklahoma Auburn. Okay. A couple of years ago, uh, I mean, you don't get any better than New Orleans. Yeah, you're right. I'm on and on New Year's. Yeah. Eve, uh, it's a good time. Yeah. Bourbon Street. Bourbon it's Street. Not bad. Harris. It's not bad. Harris, we did. I mean, there's there's some, everything. Caught, caught some. Harris they do it up right there, and they you know they have one of these early, you know, the New Orleans Bowl too is down there. It's yeah, the same yeah. place. So, I mean, what do you? I get really chapped when I do my bowl guide every year. Shameless pug that's coming out on Saturday, uh, and I'll and during the pick three here, I'll have the block of the bowl season for you, but. Well, explain to fans what uh, you go through. The bowl every. guide is every game picked against the spread. Um, and now that uh, you can just go over the border to West Virginia and, and place a legal wager. These could be – It seems this, this could have added weight now. Yeah, this is a holiday treat for you. You can go make some money off of this. Uh, yeah, the Bull Guide historically has done very well. Do you um, do re- re- uh, records? Do you keep records? Uh, yes, I have over the years. I need to go back and look what last year was. I don't remember last year being particularly memorable in a good way, uh, but I'll go back and check. Uh, but there was a run there where I went like five years in a row with like, you know, significantly above 500 against the spread and felt really good about it. And I actually pay really close attention to the matchups. Like I look, I look closely at them more than I do on this lame fearless forecasters thing we do. But uh, what I was going to say is that's not a play <laughs> going through this. I mean, I always get so frustrated because I'm looking at these like Bahamas and Boca Raton and Vegas and all these lousy crap conferences get to go to these places. Yeah, the ACC is tied in with New York City. Idaho Potato Paso. Bowl. I love El Paso. Shout out to El Paso. There Shreveport. The, like Shreveport, but. I don't have to go to Idaho. Yeah. that That's not a good bowl. So there's that. Detroit. We get Detroit. I mean, like, what is what is the deal? ACC, you need to get off your duffs and start connecting with the, the folks in the Sin City. You need to connect with the people down south. You need to get us some uh, Hawaii Bowl stuff. I mean, Hawaii Bowl is right there. And the you know, Hawaii Bowl is so weird. The, the Hawaii Bowl always featuring Hawaii. So it's like really. Well, actually, no. I, I was looking at it this morning, and they, 
I think they played in it five times. So they've not always been in it. But, but I mean, a large. They've been in it yeah, quite a, a few times, percentage. yeah. Um, and that seems a little, you know, messed up for the foes. And they're playing some Mac foe this year. And, you know, those. I think they're playing Toledo. And I think yeah. Toledo's going to come in there and party it up and, and get whacked by uh, the Rainbow Warriors. Um, the Mac, you, here's an interesting tidbit. I've, I've railed against the Mac in my bowl guide in years past and, and uh, said I would never pick them again, although I did do it a couple times in this year's bowl guide. Mac 1-10 uh, straight up in the last two bowl seasons. Not good. So, I, you know, I've been telling you, fear the Mac if you're going to you know bet them. Because, they, you know, they have quarterbacks that put up good numbers. They have, like, running backs that put up good numbers. And you look at the numbers and you say, wow, this team is really good. No, they're not. They're just putting it up against – you know, Jack, well, they're playing Jack higher competition too, so that's their problem. Yeah. I mean, mostly playing Big Ten or yeah. ACC teams. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. So. And then, you know, they usually have one of those games where they play the Big Ten team tight, and you're like, oh, that's really good. But then they go play a Louisiana Tech, and they get they get run off the field. So, um, yeah, uh, you want to get to our pick three because we're going to do our picks of this game later since we got yeah one. we'll do a close to the game especially we got some practice a lot of practice in between now and then uh so you know so hopefully you know they don't have any injury news but if they did don't have to change our picks or anything and get wait till it get closer so we'll start with pick three uh i've been railing against this for weeks now but we're coming on and you mentioned this at the top this snow day thing we had so we had a legitimate <laughs> snowstorm but i'm not gonna knock it but that was like uh that was as much snow as i've seen in a long time um, and I'm from Michigan and Chicago, so uh, I've seen a lot of snow in my day. So getting a day off and getting two days off even was fine. It's going to take some time. But we had a third snow day in a row, and then we had a late arrival day on the fourth day. So I will have done more driving to school this week, on today and tomorrow, than my kids will have spent time in school. And uh, and Christmas break is coming up in like a week. So it's really it's insane. Because, uh, I mean, they've already had... I think five, six, seven cancellation days. So, I mean, we're, we're approaching double digits. Um, it's out of control. And I know there's schools in, in hard areas where, the, you know, it's it's icy. And, but, I mean, you got to be able to say, like, this school's out and these rest of the schools are in. Don't you? It's like, I think it's fair. Yeah. I mean, if our roads are complete, there's nothing. Right now, the roads are completely safe. Like, they they did a really good job clearing them. Um, it, no really... Uh, um, there's no issues on the highways. There's no issues even on the uh, the roads by the houses uh, after four days. But to have like a two-hour late arrival four days later uh, is just, it's mind-boggling. Well, maybe a teacher or an administrator could tell us why that, that can't it, be It's done. because their school system's all tied together. So if yeah. it's one decision, it's for the whole thing. But that's a bad, that's a bad deal. <laughs> Especially well, for parents that are trying to get the work done, uh, and on day three of a snow day, it's like you you run you just it's it's too too much. Well, my wife and I were laughing yesterday because uh, kids are out of school again today. Uh, yeah, your in kids Bot- are in Botox County. Yeah, it's yeah. four straight days, and then next week there's two teacher work days. And I was I was asking her, I wonder when the parents' work day is. Like that's we what we had because they had one day where they had two days off in November, and then the, that next Friday was a work day. And it's like, you know, you got to maybe change that up or something. Like, what do you need? You've just had four days off. Couldn't you have put some work in? Like, what are you not? You're not at school. Like, I mean, I, I'm not trying Get to, to work. It's like if you had these four days off, you could probably scrap the, 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 the uh, extra day off. I don't know. Um, I don't remember having – I mean, I remember one year we had a lot of snow days, but then they added, like, four weeks in the summer. Right. Um, but I don't remember uh, – it's like 
back in my day. But I mean, even for the voting, it's like they had the election day off. It's like anything now. It's just it's an excuse not to have school. And my kids are just like, you know, they're waking up at 10 o'clock just to like enjoying life. I mean, they're just like, what's better than this? Video games, TV, yeah. food whenever we want it. Oh, they're trash in my house. They're trash in my house. It's been terrible. Okay, my first one is uh, Weird Al Yankovic. I I just want to bring this up. Yesterday, my daughter was watching Teen Titans Go, which is it was just a show. Movie or the show? uh, The show. Have you seen it? I I enjoy it. I've seen. It's funny. Uh, That and Phineas and Ferb are, are, I think, two of the best written shows right now on cartoon wise. Um, But Weird Al made a guest spot on there, and he's made a guest spot on My Little Pony. Uh, which was hilarious. I love Weird Al. Okay, he's coming to Roanoke in June. Um, I want to try and make this happen. Go to this. My kids really want to go to this. I, I happened to find. I didn't know that he had a song that parodied Ti's "Whatever You Like," which, <laughs> you know, the Ti version is you know you can go on flights and you can you know have all these Gucci purses and all this and and the Weird Al version is like you know he's clipping coupons for you and he's taking you to Mickey D's and stuff and you can have whatever you like, <laughs> and it's fa- it's fabulous. I mean, Ti is is great and and Weird Al is great and and the two deserve each other. But I just want to say I'm I'm glad he's still going strong. He's still you know in pop culture. You know, kid, my kids' age enjoy him and people my age enjoy him. And uh, good for you, Weird Al, for, for going strong as long as you have. A long career. Uh, my, my next one is uh, the new Spider-Man movie's coming out. It's an animated film, the Into the Spider-Verse. Have you seen previews for this? I haven't. Uh, it looks good. Uh, it'll be more for all ages. Uh, it comes out uh, Friday. Um, and it's got a bunch of different Spider-Man that, uh, from different <laughs> universes that all uh, uh, arrive. One of them Spider-Ham, which is a pig. And it's voiced okay. by John Mulaney. Have you heard of him? Comedian. John uh, Mulaney. John Mulaney. Mm-hmm. If you're not, you should watch his stand-up specials okay. on Netflix. I will. Um, uh, but s- it seems like a lot of fun. It'll be one of those movies where it's not like The Grinch, where you're sort of sitting and <laughs> banging your head for two hours. You actually can take the kids uh, and enjoy it. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it l- and it looks really uh, fun, kind of kinetic animated style. It's supposed to be very different. Um, but got good, really, really good reviews too far, so far as well. You know, after you ripped the Grinch, the Grinch. Uh, on pick three, I went and looked some of the reviews, and it was like a tour de force. This was the, my kids loved it. I was like, yeah, um, it's a subjective thing, isn't it? I, no, I'd have, I, I wouldn't go see it. I would trust you more than I would trust I would those not, reviews. I, I would. I want to see the review that called it a tour de force. For what paper? <laughs> what respectable paper said it was a tour de force? No, it was just a a, re- a reader, you know, like, <laughs> oh, just like an internet person. Then that person's <laughs> opinion's wrong. Probably related to one of the producers. No, uh, I got a movie one too. We went. I took my daughter, just me and my daughter, went saw Creed two, and I have to say, uh, it hit all the right notes, um, and. Some reviewers said this, and I agree with this too, on Rotten Tomatoes. They said, there are some of us who think the the best of the original Rockies was Rocky IV. Right. And for them, for those of us who believe that, this movie is a gift. And I agree. Uh, the first Creed I didn't love. I mean, it, it's, you yeah, know, you mentioned that, it's yeah. sort of like the first Rocky. You know, like I skipped the first Rocky, and I, sk- I know it won an Academy Award, but the ones I like are three and four. You know, the ones with, I mean, they're, they're very easy to predict what's going to happen, but they're still fun. And man, they went, they went double up on the training montages in this one. Uh, you know, the, I, they made, no spoiler here, I don't think, they made, you know, 
Ivan Drago into an actual human being, which I thought was kind of nice considering he was just a machine in the first one. Uh, but he's one of the greatest, I think, movie villains of all time. Um, and so to see him resurface as, as one of the main characters in this film was great. Uh, go see it. If you're a rock, if you're a fan of the Rocky franchise, um, and even if you didn't love Creed, like uh, all the critics loved Creed, and uh, you still get your Rocky in his old timey hat, which I think the critics is you know they all love that. Old timey. <laughs> I want to see the fight. The, the fight scenes are fantastic. Um, really good, really good, well shot stuff. So uh, go see it if you're a Rocky fan. Uh, and my last one, no Netflix this week. Uh, n- kind of a lull for finding things. Um, but was able to enjoy the uh, uh, with the less football uh, to cover uh, the Bears game last week. It was a Sunday night game, uh, Bears versus Rams. And, uh, I, you know, I've been a Bears fan uh, all my life. And it was a really rough period here the last couple of years that John Fox era was one of the worst eras of Chicago Bear football I'd ever seen. Um, but this Khalil Mack character, and I know he, pl- you know, it's he played at the Raiders, and I never saw him with the Raiders, and he right. was obviously Defensive Player of the Year, so it's not like he's a new sort of find. But watching him, you know, there there's very few players that you watch and can change a game and have an impact like him, and it's so much fun to watch a player like that in their prime, where they're just better than everybody else. Like he's just better, and uh, I've been enjoying watching him. This season, and you know, they killed the Rams, one of the best offensive teams in the league, and they just they didn't have an answer for that guy. And um, you know, he was kind of hidden with the you know when you're on East Coast, you don't really watch Raiders games. There's no reason, especially they're such so bad. Um, but man, is he a sort of dominant, transformative player? Uh, and those don't come along very often. It's sort of fun uh, to watch one on your team yeah i remember feeling the same way about ray lewis when oh yeah he he debuted the first game of the ravens franchise he was a rookie out of miami and i was like who's this guy and uh you know he was wreaking havoc on things i said this this ravens franchise might work out you know they've got a pretty good player there to build around they certainly turned out to be okay well as promised my third one will be my bowl uh god lock of the bowl season um i like this is off. This is not the, but I, I like Clemson to win the whole thing. To be honest with you, uh, I think Clemson, and you can get about to two and a half to one on that if you bet that right now. Uh, but I like the Alamo Bowl as my lock of the bowl season. Uh, Washington given three and a half to Iowa State. I'm a dog better. Washington or Washington State? Uh, sorry, Washington State. Excuse me. Thank you. That's all, no, you, do, you. We talked about it off air, so I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, no. Have no. people rushing to bet uh, <laughs> Washington as their lock. No, uh, Washington State, uh, of course, uh, coached by Mike Leach. Uh, uh, their quarterback is finished fifth in the uh, Heisman voting, so he's been uh, spectacular. They are 10-2 and two against the spread, which matches their overall record. Um, so they're not just beating people. They're beating people by a lot. And they're only three and a half here, and that's that's small enough for me. I'm not that impressed with what I've you know researching Iowa State. I'm not like overwhelmed with their abilities here. So, uh, barring some sort of crazy uh, announcements, you know, here in the next two weeks that uh, you know the key players aren't going to play or there's some sort of arrests, uh, then I I think that's your lock of the bowl season. Write it down. So yeah. and fans, uh, if it, it, it fails, they'll. Do you want to give them your email address or phone yeah, they can to contact you? Yeah. <laughs> find it. I, I once got my bowl guide. This is uh, returned to me. 
with with Somebody red with red X's on That's the on amazing. the incorrect I picks. I, I loved it that. too. I thought it was Did great. You frame it. Was there um, any words on there? Like I wrote the guy doofus. thank you note. I said first of all, thank you for reading it, and thank you it for. It shows a real uh, uh, dedication to not liking or you know being upset at you or not liking the picks. <laughs> That's like a true true fan. And I think the bull guy went, went like fifty eight percent against the spread that year. I'm not good and enough for this like, guy. I was like, all right, dude. I mean, you know, if you you want to just pay out the ones I didn't get, that's fine. It's like that guy who once called Andy and was, or no, Robert Anderson. He called Robert Anderson, who writes uh, the the weekly uh, prediction column for the high school games, yeah. and said, "You've yeah, you say you're getting eighty six percent, but you've never gotten the exact score right." It's like. I guess, but he didn't mail it back and, and write on no. it. No, so that fan, took extra effort. Your, your fan went to another level, so yeah. we all yeah. wish to have fans. Like well, that. I'm excited that this is the first year that, like, legitimately, uh, it's nice and legal to go across the border and and, and play some way. I know Charlestown. Um, now it's not very close, but it's like three hours from yeah. from Roanoke. Uh, you could get there and make all your bets and and uh, and. But you know, I'm, I guess I'm supposed to say it's for entertainment purposes only, but. Uh, to me, the best entertainment is stuffing your pockets with rubber band banks. Scared money don't make money. That's, That's right. Your As Ryan Willis. Ryan Willis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for today. We'll get back together again next week and, and talk about any new topics that arise as well as dive a little further into the military bowl. For Mike Nizolik, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you then.